Good morning again. Man, it's great to see everybody here today on this uh, Sunday. It's a weird kind of uh, Christmas schedule we have. And Christmas on a Sunday is kind of different, but uh, it's the Sunday before Christmas, I guess, in some ways. But we're glad you're here today. And we know that you come, uh, all of us come from who we are and where we are. And life is hard sometimes. And we're all uh, going through time sickness. I was thinking earlier we should all just take one collective cough because a lot of us are coughing and can't seem to get all, all over it. Uh, but feel free to cough if you have to. It doesn't mean you're deadly or, or anything if you have to cough. Uh, but anyway, we all have these things going on in life. Uh, losses, we all have uh, family issues that will come up about this time of year. It uh, seems like we all have crisis. And let me say, I believe that Christianity in many ways is going through a crisis as well. And the crisis, I think, stems from the lack of knowledge about the Bible. Uh, Tony alluded to that as well, all the other messages that are being sent. But I, I came up with some t- interesting statistics. The Barna Group and American Bible Society reported that 81% of U.S. adults say they consider themselves highly, moderately, or somewhat knowledgeable of the Bible, but that is not the reality. 81% of us feel like we know a lot about the Bible. In fact, fewer than half of all the adults can name the four gospel accounts. Uh, maybe you're giving yourself a test real quick. Many Christians cannot identify two or three of the disciples. 60% of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Even born-again Christians struggle. 81% believe the Bible teaches the primary purpose in life is to take care of your family. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Over 50% of graduating high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And we can chuckle at that, but the reality is is there's an ignorance about the Bible. And that's one reason why I'm really excited about LifeWise Academy that we mentioned a few weeks ago. And there's a lot of facts to to figure out. But but LifeWise Academy is a way to teach the Bible to school students. An hour a week, basically, is what they'll get. Many of whom have never, ever heard about Jesus. And uh, this uh, organization is having amazing success, and LifeWise, I believe, is coming to Woodford County. In fact, it's kind of exciting that we will probably be the pilot program for the state of Kentucky, uh, which is pretty cool here in Woodford County. You'll hear more about that coming up. But the reality is we need to know more about the Bible, know about the Bible. Now, the reason that we don't know about the Bible uh, are the statistics that tell us how people read the Bible. According to a LifeWay research study, uh, rebuilt among um, uh, church attendees, 19% of people read the Bible every day. 26% of people read it a few times a week. 19% read once a week. 22% read at least once a month. And 18% rarely or never read the Bible. And that's why we don't know a lot about the Bible. That's why we're vulnerable to everything else that's out there in the world. And uh, it's been called a crisis, a famine, and a plague. Unfortunately, it's a famine that we force upon ourselves because we're starving ourselves and we don't recognize how weak we are spiritually because we're robbing ourselves of the truth of God's Word. And many people who do read the Bible, read the Bible and value their own opinions more than the Word of God. And so they view the Bible through their opinions rather than viewing it through the truth of God's Word and conforming to the Word of God. And the reason that people don't read the Bible, several of them, they've discovered, are self-reliance. Many people believe they don't need any authority outside of themselves. Many people don't read because they're distracted, such as social media, networking, texting, and entertainment. 
Many say they don't read the Bible because they're just too busy and an unwarranted overconfidence that we know the Bible. So let me challenge you, as you think about the new year, think about reading the Bible, committing to read the Bible daily. That would be a great way uh, for you to come to know the Bible better, obviously, but also to come to know the Lord in a, in a deeper way. Now, we don't know the Bible very well, and that's kind of led us to the, the idea behind our series this year, is uh, saying we, we thought we knew the, Christian sto- uh, the Christmas story pretty well, all of our lives, but we've been discovering some things that we didn't know. We've taken a fresh look and realized that we thought we knew a lot about Mary and Joseph, but we discovered quite a bit about them. We thought we knew a lot about Jesus' birth, but we found out some new things last week. And today we're going to look at the reception of Jesus. How did the earth receive him? How did the earth respond when Jesus came? You know, when Jesus came to our earth, he came as a baby, uh, we know, to a poor Jewish couple in humble surroundings. And you might think that people would be receptive, that people would love to hear about Jesus and would be open and ready to receive him. And there were some who were. Last week, we talked about the shepherds who heard the good news while they were keeping their sheep in, in, in the fields at night. And they went to the stable and they saw the Jesus, baby Jesus and they rejoiced and they went out and told everybody that they could find. So the shepherds are a great example of the way to receive Jesus. But there may be one part of the story that oftentimes we don't talk a lot about. Maybe you didn't even never heard about this part of the story. And that is that some people were threatened by the birth of Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. Now, that may be hard for us to imagine. I mean, a baby is about as non-threatening a thing as possible. But you know, today, even a lot of people are still somewhat threatened by Jesus. I know that there are people who don't want to know a lot about Jesus. They don't, want to, they, want, they don't want to know God because they're afraid it's going to impact their lives in some ways. And we're going to look at that, a story about an individual who struggled with that and hopefully see how people respond today, sometime in a negative way, kind of understand why they do so, why people aren't always receptive to know Jesus. So the story centers around a man named Herod. And we read about Herod several times in the Bible. If you've read the Bible much, you probably have come across his name. But there were actually two men called Herod's, father and son. And we read about Herod, Antipas, who tried Jesus and mocked Jesus when he was being crucified. Uh, he was sent to, to Herod to be tried. And, uh, and Herod was the king at that time, the king of Judea. But it was the Herod the Great, his father, Antipas's father, who was ruling when Jesus was born. So this was the first Herod. And then there was a second that came along that helped crucify Jesus. So Herod was king of Judea, which was only a small part of the Roman Empire, but it was where most of the Jewish people lived. So we read about him and his story, his part in the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now we typically, uh, we read the story of the Magi and we typically associate the story of the wise men of the Magi coming to see Jesus with the birth of Jesus. I mean, all the nativities have got the baby uh, lying in the manger and there are the shepherds on one side with their sheep and there's the Magi, the wise men on the other side. But the reality is they came sometime after his church, after his birth, Uh, when he was probably a few months old, maybe even several months, maybe even a year old, perhaps. Mary and Joseph had stayed in uh, Bethlehem after the birth, and they were living in a house by this time. So that is an accurate depiction of when the 
the uh, wise men actually came at the nativity. It's later on. And like we talked about last week, the birth of Jesus had an incredible impact on our entire world, even the very way that we measure years. And we know that our year now, as we mentioned last week, is uh, 2022, approximately 2022 years after the birth of Jesus. And I say approximately, uh, and I'll explain why in just a second. Everything before Jesus is BC before Christ. Everything after his birth uh, is AD in the year of our Lord. And so that was the plan for the calendar. Uh, but there was a monk, and we won't go into his uh, uh, history, but there was a monk who put all this calendar together, but he made a few years miscalculation. Uh, so Jesus actually was born in 4 or 5 BC. You can look that up if you want to uh, figure out why that happened. But Jesus was born actually in 4 or 5 BC, and Herod the Great died about 4 BC. So what we're going to read about today and talk about was right at the end of his reign. So you think, think of an old man, an old king, who is winding down and very feeling very threatened about his throne. He doesn't want to give it up. He doesn't want anyone to take it, not even uh, his successor, a son, uh, which is going to happen anyway. But, but the Bible says that whenever Herod heard about the king, he was very upset, which made everybody in Jerusalem upset as well because he was a very temperamental king. Now, the Roman Empire was huge at that time, and it went uh, through periods of upheaval. For example, Julius Caesar, I know you've heard of him. He was the emperor of Rome. He was assassinated in 44 BC. And as soon as that happened, people began fighting for power. So Herod was a Jewish man, but he sold out to Rome and he got in the middle of this power struggle. He built a relationship with the Roman general Mark Antony and got appointed to be the king of Judea. That was kind of his spoils of the war. And this gave him Roman authority to rule. So he was the king over that city. Herod was ruthless and destroyed his enemies in painful and creative ways. He was always trying to find ways. Crucifixion was one of the ways that the Romans figure out to, to hurt people and make them die as they uh, make them uh, suffer as they die. But Herod had no, no ro ro uh, loyalty, even to Mark Antony, the one he had helped out. So soon he left him and he pledged allegiance to Caesar Augustus. So uh, whichever way the wind was blowing is kind of where, where Herod went. And Herod no, had no loyalty to his family either. Uh, for example, he exiled his wife, Doris, and his three-year-old son when he met a teenage princess. So he threw her away to, for a younger woman. He actually married 10 wives. He murdered two of his wives and three of his sons when he thought they might be trying to overthrow his throne. Caesar Augustus said it would be safer to be Herod's pig than his son. That going off the idea that the Jewish people didn't eat pork but you would be safer to be a pig than to be a son. And in fact, when Herod was about to die, he ordered that all the notable leaders of Israel be killed at his death so that all of Israel would mourn about something whenever he died. And so here was a man who killed any and all competition. So it wasn't very surprising that he was upset when some traveling men came by, wise men, came to the palace and told him that a new king had been born and they asked where they could find him. No wonder he was upset. You know, sometimes we think, wow, the wise men kind of stirred up a hornet's nest when they, when they stopped at the castle of the palace, but where else would you go to begin looking for a king than the obvious place, right? And so the people of Israel knew about Herod. They lived under his rule for about 35 years, and they knew that trouble was brewing. So when these wise men rode in, started talking about a king, Herod's upset, everybody's upset. Let's pick up the story in Matthew 2. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, 
He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently or carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So when Herod um, is asked about this king, he, he kind of goes off, especially when he realizes that the Magi were wiser than he, which shouldn't be a surprise, but uh, they knew that, the, that Herod wasn't serious about worshiping the baby. So they went home a different way. And uh, when Herod heard this, he ordered every baby boy under the age of two, that's why we know that Jesus probably was not two at this point, and uh, he assumed that, that, that they would be put to death, and we assume they probably were. Herod was obviously threatened by this new king that he knew nothing about. And there were several things about Herod that was, that was threatened. And why I share these because I think in the same way, sometimes we feel a little possessive about our things. And we get a little bit controlling when we think about how Jesus might impact, following Jesus might impact our lives. The first thing I think that Jesus threatened of Herod was his possessions. Possessions. Here, imagine these wise men come with gifts for Jesus, not for Herod. Herod was accustomed to people bringing things to him to curry his favor. But they bring things for Jesus and then they ride off with these things. Herod doesn't know what they are maybe, but he has a good idea that they have wealth Herod had gotten rich by stealing and killing all of his competition. But if he was replaced as king, all of his wealth was going to be taken away from him, the palace and everything, his possessions. So he felt threatened about those things. Sometimes we can feel threatened about the things we own, right? When we're asked to give or be generous, we go, I don't know if I can get by with those, those things. That's, a, that's, kind of, that's kind of Herod thinking a little bit there. Then secondly, Jesus also threatened his power. Herod had literally spent decades consolidating his power and control. Uh, he had everybody afraid because the whole city was upset when he was. He did what he wanted to do. He was left alone by Rome. He had a lot of independence. And you know what? Some things never change. We all like to be in control of our lives. Sometimes people are threatened by Jesus because they're afraid that Jesus is going to make them do something they don't want to do, that they're going to be weird or they're going to, you know, have to... Um, uh, you know, become a, a beggar or something. We don't, we don't know. We're afraid what Jesus might ask us to do. And we don't want him to call the shots for our lives. 
You know, I think this is interesting because a lot of people or most people don't struggle with Jesus' divinity. You don't have a lot of people arguing about Jesus' birth, his, his existence, or the fact that he was the Son of God. But where people have trouble letting go of control of their lives and letting Jesus take the will, letting him have control of everything. You know, we can't disprove the claims of Jesus. We don't even try to do so, but we do push back whenever we feel like Jesus might be making a change in our lives, and we're not sure we want the change. The third thing that Herod seemed to uh, threaten by was his position. Herod would not let anyone take his place. Again, he had killed family, close friends, anyone who might take his spot, even though he knew he was growing older and dying. And I think there's a little bit of Herod in all of us, you know? I mean, we're not violent, we're not hateful, we're not trying to kill anybody, but we all like our comfort zone. We like our position in life, and we resent anyone who might try to take our place or might supersede us. Thinking of letting Jesus take over our lives and call the shots can be very threatening. And there may be some areas in our life that we don't want Jesus into. We might be perfectly fine to worship him on Sunday and read the Bible periodically, but we don't want him controlling our time and our future and our right resources. Uh, we want to keep him at a safe distance there. And Herod was like that too. Or maybe it's resisting letting Jesus into lives because we think that he might take all the fun away and might make us something that we're not comfortable with. But you know what? The reality is that Jesus really wants to give us abundant life that we have never known. We don't have any idea. We can't conceive the kind of life that God wants us to have because many of us aren't willing to give up the mediocre life that we live and that we're comfortable in. So the story behind this is don't be Herod this year. Don't be Herod. Don't be threatened or resentful to the claims of Jesus and the desire to be the king of your life. Let him in. Let him in. Open your heart up. I think it's interesting that in this same story of Herod and his reaction, his resentment, that we find another response to the birth of Jesus. And we mention those, that is, of the Magi. The visual picture we have of the Magi are the three kings on camels loaded with gifts. We three kings of Orion are. But the Bible doesn't tell us that they were kings. In fact, it says they were Magi. And it doesn't say there were three. There were probably a lot more than three. I would say in that day, they traveled in large caravans. So think about, you know, dozens perhaps of kings who, or magi who came to worship Jesus. A magi was a scholar, someone who would be like our modern day astronomers who studied the heavens and they also studied ancient scripture and prophecies. They were trained to see the unseen beyond what everybody else kind of saw and perceived. It's most likely that they were not Jews, not the Jews that would be in that area. Uh, so they were very objective. They were just looking at the facts, just the facts. Some have argued that they might have been from Arabia, but they were mysterious. Some also suggest that they may have even been priests from the order of Melchizedek in the Old Testament that had come to anoint the new king into their priesthood and restore the first temple. That was something that was thrown out there. But they knew that a Messiah, a savior and a king had been born and that his coming would be marked by a tremendous event in the sky, in the heavens. That's why the astronomers, that's why they recognize that. That there would be a creation of a brand new star that would mark the time and the place of his birth. And they saw that star. They saw it appear. It, it just began. And when Jesus was born a few months later, they had seen the new star. And then they had made their way miles and miles away from home, wherever they came from the east, 
to come and worship the newborn king. And they met Herod and saw his hatred where they had a heart of adoration and love. And so whenever they realized what, hate, what Herod was, was trying to do, they made a, a way around him. You know, they had spent a lot of time and money to come and find Jesus. And so when they did, they were overjoyed. They bowed down and they worshiped him and they gave him the gifts. And while they may not have had the Jewish hope of the Messiah and all the knowledge and promise and everything, they bowed in worship. That means that they humbled themselves and acknowledged his greatness. These were not run-of-the-mill mill, uh, magi. They, they were very notable, well-known, wealthy, probably very educated, but they humbled themselves and acknowledged the presence of Jesus Christ. And then they gave him gifts of uh, great value and worth. Uh, gold was given to him. You know, gold is one of the most valuable minerals. I think the other day I looked up, it was like $1,700 an ounce. Still pretty valuable. They brought him probably a, several ounces of that. Frankincense used for making incense and perfume. And myrrh was used for the embalming process. And all these gifts were costly. But you know what? They gave them freely to Jesus, this baby lying in the manger. And the giving of the Magi is kind of what sets the standard today for us to give gifts at, at Christmas time. Except the problem is we've got it kind of mixed up. We give to one another or ourselves and not always to Jesus. And that's why next week's going to be a little bit different. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to challenge you to give a gift to Jesus. And uh, it's going to be different gifts. We're going to talk about different ways that we can give. There's some of us who, who need to give financially to Jesus. And there are some of us that maybe aren't able to do that as much as we need to give other things to Jesus. And we're going to talk about those things. We're actually going to put together a gift. We'll have our kids in here next week with us. So we're going to make some gifts and and actually bring our gifts to Jesus. So I, I really want to encourage you to be here, if at all possible, next Sunday. It's going to be a special day. But let me ask you a question if we wrap up today. Based on how we've looked at people receive Jesus, how Herod received him, how the wise men received him, how are you receiving Jesus? Are you receiving him like Herod, kind of resentful and resistant? He wants to be the king of your life, but you're going to keep fight everything possible to, to make that happen. I mean, you're not going to kill him. You're not out to kill him, but you also aren't ready to let him in either. You're holding back something from letting Jesus in. Or are you like the Magi, ones who are seeking and looking and longing, open to Jesus, ready to follow him, willing to trust him, ready to open up your life and embrace him and worship him? And that's the way I hope that you're looking at it. You know, we can learn a lot from the wise men. The wise men came seeking Jesus despite all the risk and all the dangers in their path. They kept their eyes and their mind focused on the things above. They didn't get distracted by the things of the earth. And when they found Jesus, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. That's what we need to do. So in contrast, let me ask you, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping Jesus? Are you giving him your best, your all? Have you given him control of your life? Are you willing to give of your, what you have to him, to give to Jesus, because you find out who he is. That's the example of the wise man. In John chapter 1, we read this, he came to his, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So God gave us Jesus as a gift offered to us, but for us to benefit from any gift, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. We have to understand it. You know, um, we, some of our kids uh, send us gifts in the mail, 
and, uh, you know, through Amazon or, or wherever it may be. And we have not opened those gifts yet. So we don't have any idea what those gifts are. We haven't really received them. We got them, but we haven't opened them up. And if we, it would be foolish to receive a gift and, and never open it, wouldn't it? On Christmas Day, we're going to open them up and find out what they are. But sometimes people look at Jesus that way. They, they're offered him, but they never receive him. They never accept him. When we receive a gift, we take it to ourselves. I don't know a lot about football, but when a running back receives a pass, he pulls it in to himself and he clings to it and he runs with it, right? And whenever we receive Jesus, we take him in and we cling to the truth about him. We receive him. To receive Jesus means that we believe his claims to be the only son of God and commit to live our life for him. We receive Jesus. The option of receiving Jesus is to reject him. And there are a lot of people who, who are not ready to receive Jesus, but they don't want to, they also don't want to reject him either, but it has to be one or the other. To reject Jesus doesn't mean you try to kill him like Herod did, but to reject him as Savior means that we either think we don't need him, we don't need the salvation that he offers, or maybe we're looking to something or someone else to save us. Whenever we receive Jesus, we let go of everything else that we've been holding on to for hope, and we just trust him. See, receiving Jesus is more than just adding him to our busy life. Oh, I'm going to plug him here on Sunday morning. It's much more than that. When we receive Christ, we pledge him our lives and our allegiance, and then we look to him as the Lord of all of our lives. And we understand that receiving him is not just believing in him. It's one thing to believe. Many people believe in Jesus, but many people have not received him, have not accepted him. They've not pulled him to themselves and made him a part of their lives. And that's the greatest gift that we can give. You know, next Sunday, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, that's the most important thing of all. I'll give you a little hint from next week. That's the most important thing. And we'd love to talk to you about that. The Bible says that the simple process of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, of being willing to uh, repent or turn from your self-lived life, confessing what you believe Jesus has done for you and who he is, the Son of God, and then being baptized into Christ, receiving him, putting Christ on. Very simple. But it's a way for us to receive Christ into our lives and have the hope of eternal life, the purpose for which he came and the purpose for Christmas. You know, I'm going to go to a time of prayer here, and um, I just want to open this time up. I know that there are people here who are hurting. Uh, there are people that are struggling uh, with, with what's going on and health issues and losses and everything else. And if you want someone to, to pray with you, we're going to be up front. We'll be ready to receive you and just, just meet with you and talk with you. If you want to talk about your relationship with Christ, we'll be up here to, to do that as well. Or you just want to come up and pray at one of the, the kneeling benches. Those are open anytime. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for all the Christmas stories. And, and Lord, for this one, this aspect of Christmas that we don't deal with a lot. And that is just a blatant re re rejection of who Jesus is on one hand, and then a, a clear reception of, of Christ on the other. And Lord, we see these two parties as they reacted to Jesus differently. And Father, we know that, that one of these responses is going to be our response. Father, either we will receive him or we'll reject him. And Lord, I pray this time, uh, in this moment, Lord, 
But if there are those here who, who need to receive Christ and accept him for who he is, Lord, that they would just be willing and bold to step up like the wise men, just come and give their gift, their heart to you. And Father, I pray that you would soften the heart of others who maybe have rejected or are continuing to reject Jesus. Lord, that all of us would see the choice as clear cut and respond in faith and hope. God, we thank you again for Jesus, what he means to us and what this season is all about, Lord. May we celebrate it in a right relationship with you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And let's stand together to worship.